Hello, and welcome to For Starters, from All For One Productions in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the podcast that brings you audio appetizers from time-tested tales for the whole family. Our theater company prepares a full season of values-rich, thought-provoking, family-friendly fare for a local audience. But not every great story makes a great stage play, and there are more delicious tales to taste than we have time to cook. So we've created this podcast in order to expand our menu, introducing a larger audience to a wider array of literary offerings. Our actors will read you a chapter or two, tell you a bit about the whole work, and point you to where you can read, watch, or listen to the rest of the story. We hope you'll enjoy what you hear and that it makes you hungry for more. This podcast is produced with the support of the Community Foundation of Greater Fort Wayne. The Boxcar Children by Gertrude Chandler Warner was originally published in 1924. Warner, a first grade teacher, created the story of four orphan siblings. She went on to write 18 more books featuring the children, mostly about mysteries they solve. The last of Warner's Boxcar Children books was published in 1976. After her death, other authors wrote books featuring the same four characters. An animated film with an all-star cast of voices was released in 2014, and a sequel, Surprise Island, was released in 2018. We're going to hear chapters three and four of the original 1924 novel. In this book, the children are homeless because they've been told that their grandfather, their only living relative, is a cruel man. After running away from an unscrupulous baker, the children are hiding in the woods when they discover an abandoned boxcar. This was an old-fashioned train car made of wood with large wooden doors on each long side for loading and hauling goods long distance. Let's join Henry, Jess, Violet, and Benny just as dawn is breaking in the woods where they are hiding. When Jess opened her eyes, it must have been about 10 o'clock in the morning. She sat up and looked all around her. She could see dimly the opening where they had come into the woods. She looked around to see that her family was still safely by her. Then she looked up at the sky. At first, she thought it must still be night, and then she realized that the darkness was caused by an approaching storm. Whatever, whatever shall we do now? demanded Jess of the air. She got up and looked in every direction for shelter. She even walked quite a little way into the woods and down a hill, and there she stood, not knowing what to do next. I shall have to wake Henry up, only how I hate to. As she spoke, she glanced into the forest and her feet felt as if they were nailed to the ground. She could not stir. Faintly outlined among the trees, Jess saw an old freight or boxcar. Her first thought was one of fear, her second, hope for shelter. As she thought of shelter, her feet moved and she stumbled toward it. It really was a freight car. She felt sure of it. It stood on rusty broken rails which were nearly covered with dead leaves. Then the thunder cracked overhead. Jess came to her usual senses and started back for Henry flying like the wind. He was awake, looking anxiously overhead. He had not noticed that Jess was missing. Come, I found a place, hurry. Hurry! Henry did not stop to ask questions. He picked up Benny, telling Violet to gather up the hay. And then they ran headlong through the thick underbrush in Jess's wake, seeing their way only too well by the sharp flashes of lightning. It's beginning to sprinkle, gasped Henry. We'll get there, all right? 
It's not far. Be all ready to help me open the door when we get there. By sheer good fortune, a big tree stump stood under the door of the freight car, or the children never could have opened it. As it was, Jess sprang on the stump, and Henry, pausing to lay Benny down, did likewise. Together, they rolled back the heavy door about a foot. That's enough. I'll get in, and you hand Benny up to me. No. I must see first if anyone is in there. It will rain. Nothing will hurt me. But she knew it was useless to argue with Henry, so she hastily groped in the bag for the matches and handed them to her brother. It must be confessed that Jess held her breath while Henry struck one and peered about inside the car. All's well. Come in, everybody. Violet passed the hay up to her brother and crawled in herself. Then Jess handed Benny up like a package of groceries, and taking one last look at the angry sky and waving trees, she climbed in after him. The two children managed to roll the door back so that the crack was completely closed before the storm broke. But at that very instant, it broke with a vengeance. It seemed to the children that the sky would split, so sharp were the cracks of thunder but not a drop of rain reached them in their roomy retreat. They could see nothing at all, for the freight car was tightly made, and all outside was nearly as black as night. Through it all, Benny slept on. Presently, the thunder grew fainter and rumbled away down the valley, and the rain spent itself. Only the drip from the trees on the top of the car could be heard. Then Henry ventured to open the door. He knelt on his hands and knees and thrust his head out. The warm sunlight was filtering through the trees, making golden pools of light here and there. The beautiful trees, pines and white birches and oaks grew thickly around, and the ground was carpeted with flowers and wonderful ferns more than a yard high. But most miraculous of all was a miniature waterfall small but perfect, where the same little brown brook fell gracefully over some ledges and danced away down the glen. In an instant, Jess and Violet were looking over Henry's shoulder at the pretty sight. How different everything looks with the sun shining. Things will soon be dry at this rate. It must be about noon, observed Henry, looking at the sun, and as he spoke, the faint echo of mill bells in the distance was heard. Henry, let's live here. Live here? Yes, why not? Nobody uses this car, and it's dry and warm. We're quite far away, and yet we are near enough to a town so we can buy things. And we're near water, added Violet. Jess hugged her sister. So we are, little mouse, the most important thing of all. But- Please, Henry, I could make this old freight car into the dearest little house, with beds and chairs and a table and dishes. I'd like to live here too said a determined little voice from the corner. But I don't want to unless... Unless what? Unless I can have my dinner. Benny finished anxiously. We'll have something to eat right away, old fellow, said Henry, thankful it was no worse, for he himself was beginning to see what a cozy home the car really would make. Jess cut the last loaf of bread into four pieces, but alas, it was very dry. The children were so hungry that they tore it with their teeth like little dogs. But Benny was nearly crying. He did not actually cry, however, for just at that crucial moment, Violet started a funny story about Cinnamon Bear eating bread crusts out of the ash can. He ought to have milk. 
He shall have milk. I'll go down the railroad track to the town and get some. Jess counted out a dollar in ten dimes and handed it to Henry. By the time our four dollars are gone, you will have some work to do. All the same, Henry did not like to begin his trip. Oh, how I hate to leave you alone, Jess. Oh, don't you worry. We'll have a surprise for you when you come back. You just wait and see. And she nodded her head wisely as Henry walked slowly off through the woods. The moment he was out of sight, she turned to Benny and Violet. Now, children, what do you think we're going to do? Do you know what I saw over in the sunny part of the woods? I saw some blueberries. Oh, oh, cried Benny, who knew what blueberries were. Can't we have some blueberries and milk? We certainly, began Jess, but the sentence never was finished, for a sharp crackle of dry leaves was heard. Something was moving in the woods. Keep still. Benny obeyed. The three children were as motionless as stone images huddled inside the freight car. Jess opened her mouth in order to breathe at all. Her heart was thumping so wildly. She watched like a cat through the open door in the direction of the rustling noise. And in a moment, the trembling bushes parted and out crawled a dog. He was an Airedale and was pulling himself along on three legs, whimpering softly. Jess drew a long breath of relief. It's all right, only a dog, but he seems to be hurt. At the sound of her voice, the dog lifted his eyes and wagged his tail feebly. He held up his front foot. Poor doggy, murmured Jess soothingly as she clambered out of the car. Let Jess see your poor lame foot. She approached the dog carefully, for she remembered that her mother had always told her never to touch a strange dog unless he wagged his tail. But this dog's tail was wagging, certainly, so Jess bent over without fear to look at the paw. An exclamation of pity escaped her when she saw it, for a stiff, sharp thorn had been driven completely through one of the cushions of the dog's foot, and around it the blood had dried. I guess I can fix that, but taking the thorn out is going to hurt you, old fellow. The dog looked up at her as she laid his paw down and licked her hand. Come here, Violet and Benny. She took the animal gently in her lap and turned him on his side. She patted his head and stroked his nose with one finger and offered him the rest of her bread crust, which she had put in her apron pocket. The dog snapped it up as if he were nearly starved. Then she held the soft paw firmly with her left hand and pulled steadily on the thorn with her right hand. The dog did not utter a sound. He lay motionless in her lap until the thorn suddenly let go and lay in Jess's hand. Good, good. Wet my handkerchief. Violet did so, dipping it in the running brook. Jess wrapped the cool, wet folds around the hot paw and gently squeezed it against the wound. The dog, meanwhile, trying to lick her hands. We'll surprise Henry, won't we? Now we got a dog. To be sure, but that isn't what I intended for a surprise. You know, I was intending to get a lot of blueberries and maybe find some old dishes in a dump or something. Can't we look while you hold the dog? Asked Violet anxiously. Of course you can, pet. Look over there, by those rocks. Benny and Violet scrambled through the underbrush to the place Jess pointed out and investigated. But they did not hunt long, for the blueberries were so thick that the bushes almost bent over with their weight. Oh, Jessie, you've never seen so many in your life. What do we pick them into? 
come and get a clean towel, said Jess, who noticed that Benny was already picking into his own mouth. But that's just as well, because he won't get so hungry waiting for the milk. She watched the two children a moment as they dropped handfuls of the bluish globes on the towel. Then she carefully got up with her little patient and went over and sat down in the center of the patch. The berries were so thick, she did not have to change her position before the towel held over a quart. Oh dear, I wish I could hunt for some dishes so we could have blueberries and milk. Never mind tonight. We can just eat a handful of berries and then take a drink of milk when Henry comes. But it was even better than that. For when Henry came, he had two bottles of milk under one arm, a huge loaf of brown bread under the other, and some golden cheese and waxed paper in his pocket. But you should have seen Henry stare when he saw what Jess was holding. Where in the world? He came to us. He came for surprise for you. And he's a nice doggy. Henry knelt down to look at the visitor who wagged his tail. It wouldn't be a bad thing to have a watchdog. I worried about you all the time I was gone. Did you bring some milk? Inquired Benny, trying to be polite, but looking at the bottles with longing eyes. Bless his heart. We'll have dinner right away. Or is it supper? Call it supper, for it's the last thing we'll have to eat today. And then tomorrow we'll start having three meals every day. It was certainly a queer meal, whatever it was. Jess, who liked above all things to be orderly, spread out the big gray laundry bag on the pine needles for a tablecloth. The brown loaf was cut by a very excited little hostess into five thick squares, the cheese into four. Dogs don't eat cheese, Benny remarked cheerfully. The poor little fellow was glad of it too, for he was very hungry. He could hardly wait for Jess to set the milk bottles in the center of the table and heap the blueberries in four little mounds, one at each place. I'm sorry we haven't cups. We'll just have to drink out of the same bottle. No, we won't. We'll drink half of each bottle, so that will make at least two things to drink out of. Good for you, Henry. You and Benny use one, and Violet and I will use the other. So the meal began. Look, Benny, eat a handful of blueberries, then take a bite of brown bread, then a nibble of cheese. Now, a drink of milk. It's good, it's good, mumbled Benny to himself all through the meal. You must not imagine that the poor, wandering dog was neglected, for Jess fed him gently as he lay in her lap, poking morsels of bread into his mouth and pouring milk into her own hand for him to lap up. When the meal was over and exactly half of each bottle of milk remained, Jess said, We are going to sleep on beds tonight, and just as soon as we get our beds made, we are all going to be washed. That'll be fun, Benny. We'll wash our paws in the brook just the way cinnamon does. First, let's gather armfuls of dry pine needles. Get those on top that have been lying in the sunshine. Jess laid the dog down on a bed of moss as she spoke and started energetically to scoop up piles of the fragrant needles. Soon, a pile as high as her head stood just under the freight car door. I think we have enough, she said at last. Taking the scissors from Violet's work bag, she cut the laundry bag carefully into two pieces, saving the cord for a clothesline. One of the big squares was laid across Benny's hay and tucked under. That was the softest bed of all. Violet's apron and her own, she cut off at the belt. I'll sleep next to Benny with my head up by the door. 
Then I can hear what is going on. A big pile of pine needles was loaded into the freight car for Henry's bed and covered with the other half of the laundry bag. The remainder of the needles Jess piled into the farthest corner of the car for herself and Violet. We'll all sleep on one side so we can call it the bedroom. What'll be the other side? The other side? Let me think. I guess that'll be the sitting room and perhaps some of the time the kitchen. On rainy days, maybe the dining room. Couldn't it be the parlor? Certainly, the parlor. We forgot that. She was covering the last two soft beds with the two aprons. The tops of these aprons are washcloths, she said severely. Then armed with the big cake of soap, she led the way to the brook. The dog watched them anxiously, but when Jess said, Lie still, he obeyed. From the moment Jess drew the thorn from his foot, he was her dog, to obey her slightest command and to follow her wherever she went. The clean, cool brook was delightful even to Benny. The children rolled up their sleeves and plunged their dusty arms into its waters, quarreling good-naturedly over the soap and lathering their stained faces and necks with it. When they were well rinsed with clear water, they dried themselves with the towel. Then Jess washed both towels nicely with soap, rinsed them, and hung them on the clothesline of tape, which she had stretched between two slender birch trees. They flapped lazily in the wind. Looks like home already, Jess. The tired children clambered into the bedroom, Jess coming last with the wounded dog. We'll have to leave the door open. It's so hot, said Henry, lying down with a tired sigh. And in less than ten minutes they were fast asleep, dog and all. Asleep at six o'clock. Asleep without naming the dog, without locking the door, without fear. For this was the first night in four that they had been able to go to sleep at night, as children should. In today's episode of For Starters, you heard Sarah Ward as the narrator, Gabriel Warren as Henry, Ella Doran as Jess, Rachel Custer as Violet, and Finley McLaughlin as Benny. Well, thank you for joining us for today's episode. I'm Stacy Custer. And I'm Lauren Nichols. So we are so happy today to bring you The Boxcar Children because this is a book that has actually just recently entered the public mm -hmm. domain, which gives us the chance to share it with you. And when it was brought up um, on a list as a potential book, all of us kind of just went, yes, yes. of course. You know, it's a, one of my childhood favorites. It's one of my children's childhood favorites. It's, I mean, it's, it's on everyone's list of uh, 100 best books for, for children. I, I would suspect that this is one of the very first chapter books that gets put in a child's hands. Because mm -hmm. it's such a sweet story. It is. It's such um, a, I don't want to really say simple story, but it's straightforward. And there's not lots of hard words. There's not lots of big words. Um, Gertrude and Chandler Warner was a school teacher, yes. and so she was writing this for her students and wanting to give them something they and could understand. And she actually was test driving it on her students and, and to see whether they could understand it. And she did some significant rewriting as she was reading it aloud to her class. Oh, wow. Isn't that lovely? That's great. But what a, what a perfect place. Absolutely. To be able Absolutely. to do that. Although I'd say that for children today, this would not be a first grade reading level. And in fact, less than 20 years after it was written, it was significantly revised and simplified. Um, 
which is kind of typical for books written for children in that era, especially in America. Yeah. The original, have you seen the original Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys books? No, I don't think oh, I have. Oh, they're gorgeous, and they've got 20s-era illustrations. They're a much more sophisticated syntax, um, and yet they're very wholesome, and they're, they're great mm -hmm. stories, but boy, when they got a hold of the, 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 syndic the syndicate that owned those stories, um, drastically revised them in the, the 60s, and they became much simpler. Yeah. The sentence structure and the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. I hate to use the words dumbed down, but that's really what that's it amounts what it to. Feels it's like. yeah. So if you can get a hold of the 1924 version of the Boxcar Children, I would recommend it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that they re-released the original Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, at least some of them, in, oh, in wow. the original illustrations. They're in the library. My boys read some of them and said, oh, these old ones are much better. They're better <laughs> stories. <laughs> nice. And it's not surprising. Yeah, I didn't read a whole lot of Nancy Drew Hardy Boys growing up. I knew about them, but I didn't read a lot of them, so I don't have any particular reference for that. I think I passed through that phase fairly quickly, so by the time all these new Boxcar Children books were being written, mm -hmm. I, I was past them. Yeah, I was, yeah I because was nearly an adult. she wrote the first... 19. Mm -hmm. And then now there are like 150 books in the Boxcar Children series. A little series. more. There are even yeah. a couple of companion series, and then someone wrote a prequel oh, really? a few years ago wow. about their lives before they were orphaned. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's all kinds of Boxcar Children stories. Not all of them are set in the 20s. No, when most this of them came not. Out. They yeah, started making them, them contemporary. Yeah, they've updated them and. Um, I've not read any of the new I ones either. It, when I looked at the list of titles, they seemed familiar to me. Mm -hmm. So I have a feeling I probably did read the entire series at least once. But I'd say I read the first book several times just yeah. because it evokes, I don't know, it was the same kind of coziness that I got reading A Little Princess, mm -hmm. you know, where she, she imagines what the attic could be like if she could fix it up. Yeah. And there was something so charming about reading mm. that, I suppose it was even more charming if you were like curled up in bed and yeah. you were you were cozy and warm, <laughs> reading someone else yes. else's story about trying to make something into a home. Yeah, and the the language is really descriptive yes. when you hear the narrator talking about um, the clearing that they find themselves in with the trees and the right. ferns and all of this. I mean, it really, you know, it really puts you there. Do kids know what a boxcar is now? That's a fabulous question. I don't know because old-fashioned trains, you had these these cars that had long, heavy wooden doors that mm -hmm. slid, and they they were on each side so that you right. could unload from Loading. either side depending yeah. on where your platform was at the station. And today, it's a semi-trailer that they take a crane and <laughs> plop it down it on a flatbed, and then they can take it off and attach it to a semi, which it's much more efficient, but it's not nearly as charming, right? <laughs> completely done away of, with yeah. the, the, the hobos. You know, that era when people yeah, would ride the rails, you could mm -hmm. hop up into a boxcar if it was empty. There's nothing to hop up onto now. Nope. Nope. That era is gone. Yeah, it is. And it's funny because um, I think this book is probably the only reason I know what a boxcar mm -hmm. is. You know, because, uh, you know, even me, the only trains I remember are the semi-trailer trains. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I can kind of remember when a caboose was more standard. Yes, you know, you'd now see you them more never frequently. see now you them hardly now. ever see a caboose, so. and when you do, you go, oh, it's so cute, <laughs> you know? But once in a while in an old movie, you might see one, and especially yeah. if you see old things. Old westerns. Yes. There's lots of boxcars in old westerns. But also World War II stories. Oh, yeah. Because the boxcars were where they shoved all of the prisoners mm -hmm. in Germany when they were taking them to the concentration yeah. camps. They were yeah. shoved into those boxcars. Right. So I think yeah. that might be the only other reference people might have for mm -hmm. that image. Yeah. The picture what and it I, looks I like. I think of westerns, you know, with the horses being loaded on and off. Right. You've got the ramp up into the boxcar with right. the door wide open. But And yeah. Polar Express, did they, that was strictly a passenger train, wasn't it? I don't know that there yeah. were any I don't remember there being any kind of freight cars, cars on there. there. I know that there was um, an award-winning animated film version done not that long ago. Was it 2014? 2014. Maybe? I didn't. An award-winning. Yes. Yes. Version. And, um, That's some really significantly high-powered voices in it. I, I remember um, J.K. Simmons is one of the voices, and uh, uh, now I can't think of the others. But uh, there were some names among the cast, and I'm sure that Lucy saw that at a friend's house. It was on Netflix, maybe, and mm. I believe it's also available on, on DVD. And they did a sequel a couple, just a couple of years ago, and oh, in wow. fact, I think it's the second book, The, Surprise the Lighthouse Mystery. Yes, I think that was The Lighthouse Mystery, Okay, perhaps. Yeah. I could be wrong. But uh, I didn't even know they'd made uh, an animated I didn't until, until Lucy saw it, my, my nine-year-old. And we've read her. I think, I think uh, her papa and I have both read The Boxcar Children to her. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the best read-alouds. It's because as a parent, reading it to your child or a grandparent to mm -hmm. your grandchild, um, again, there's just not a lot to stumble over. Yes. You know, you just... It's right. There's nothing that's inappropriate. It's not yeah. hard to understand. So you don't have to keep stopping and... And saying, do you know what that word means? Right. Do you understand? Are you with me here? Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a easy read aloud for everyone. It's lovely and heartwarming and mm -hmm. funny. And they're... they're their relationships between the four siblings yes. are really sweet. Yes, and it's nice because it works for, like, all different ages. It's true. You know, as young as four or five can really understand most mm -hmm. of what's going on. But 10 but or 12 can appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, they can still appreciate it because you've got that whole independence, you know, the child taking charge. Yes, and, and being responsible yeah, for the younger ones. Yeah, and, and having you to know, figure things out. It's, they're great problem solvers. Right, right, and the discovery and the, it just, it ingenuity. just works for so mm -hmm. yeah ingenuity great word it just works for so many kids so many different ages so the takeaway is you should go and read this book absolutely you should read it to your children you should yep. buy them a copy of it absolutely we, we do not receive any royalties <laughs> right for this. <laughs> for this yeah and really even if you don't have kids to read it to it's not a long read it's just fun it's and it's charming and you can yeah. actually find it on Project Gutenberg for free right online just read it online yeah. It'll take you a couple hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Project Gutenberg even has um, the original 1924 cover in color, which oh, is really? really pretty. I'll have to go look at that because I didn't, I didn't know that was there. All Excellent. Right. Well, next week we'll be looking at another of the great Edwardian um, children's writers, but not, I don't think she's as well known in this country, E. Nesbitt. I had never heard of her, actually. Oh, the, you, do you know The Railway Children? You know that book? 
Nope. Oh, okay. I well, always thought the railway children and the boxcar children were the same, <laughs> same thing. One. Well, so <coughs> that's why we didn't choose the railway children to do as our um, representative novel of Nesbitt. It's a, a less well-known, but absolutely charming comedic fantasy called The Enchanted Castle. Wonderful. And we're going to get one delicious taste of that. <laughs> so that'll Excellent. be episode four. All right. We're looking forward to that. This is fun. I it hope is. you're liking it, too. Right, we're having a good time. <laughs> we hope, yeah, that you're enjoying these. And um, again, I don't know if we said this before, but we are open to suggestions. If you have a favorite book, um, something in the public domain that mm -hmm. you know was a childhood favorite of yours, a current favorite, I don't know, just you know, shoot us an season. email. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll put it on our list and we'll consider and and make sure you uh, rate the podcast and share it with your friends. Yeah. Thanks very much. This production was recorded and engineered by Frosty Pictures with the support of the Community Foundation of Greater Fort Wayne.